11 weeks ago, Max and Elias were scared out of the race by James Duthie in Toronto. Susan and Chan flew off the 11th place cliff in Chile. The female Newfoundland cops were forgotten about in Argentina. Hamilton and Michaela lost their passport to get past 9th place in Halifax. Nick and Sabrina flatlined in Sudbury. Neil and Christian saw their chances float away like a flower made of hoops in Saskatchewan. Brian and Cynthia were driven out of the race in Calcutta. Dijon and Leilani fell into the pile of manure and out of the race in the Okanagan. And Simeon Opie slipped on the ice and out of the race in Edmonton. Welcome to the final Amazing Race Canada recap episode of the URC Bumper Podcast. My name is Michael Armstone, and joining me as always is the Italian-Canadian who never forgets to wear a seatbelt, Logan Saunders. Evening. And the Australian who we've been waiting for to join us so long, Season 4 started, Ben Powell. Howdy. Nice to hear your voice again, Ben. It's like 10 weeks since you've done a podcast with us, I think. Well, con- well, you know, consider the, consider the season. You, you want me to take me away from Gin on Jess, did you? Uh, yes, actually. <laughs> I believe I might have actually said that to you pre-season, that you'll probably hate Gino and Jesse, and lo and behold, we, we don't like Gino and Jesse! You can tweet us using the hashtag Yetancast, or email us at yetancast at gmail.com, and as I mentioned, after four countries, 16 cities, and more than 48,000 kilometres, we have our winners, and they are one of the worst of all time, Gino and Jesse. I don't mind them, but I think that, I don't know what it is about Amazing Race Canada, but they consistently produce bad winners of the Amazing Race, but they're probably my favourite Amazing Race Canada winners so far. And, you know, I mean, that's still not saying much, but still. Like, I didn't really... I hated, I hated Tim, and T- Tim and Tim. I hated Mickey and Pete, and I only sort of, kind of, only disliked Gina and Jesse. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Mickey and Pete are probably my favourites purely because they made me laugh pre-season, whereas I ranted about Gina and Jesse. That's because you have low standards, though. Low standards for humour. That's what I was getting at. Not when my favourites of the season are Nick and Sabrina, Brian and Cynthia, and probably Simi, you know. Yeah, but still, you liked Mickey and Pete, so... I don't don't know what it says about you, but... Yeah, and Dana and Randa. Of course, everyone's casual fan favourites. No, Canada's favourites. Canada's (laughs) favourites. Come on, Logan, I'm setting you up there. (laughs) Yes. The greatest team of all time. What is it with your country and Newfoundland? Uh, what's, oh, yeah, because I guess there'd be Jillian, we've got uh, John from Big Brother Canada, and now we apparently have Dean and Amanda all in that mix. Canadian Southern Newfoundlanders. You also have Kenny Brain. Oh, Unfortun- well. Unfortunately for that, them. There's a there's a reason I didn't he didn't come to mind at all. Also, Allison. Right. right. So, previously, 12 teams left Quebec City to travel Canada and the world. Racers pushed themselves to the limit and soared into new heights on a quest to become the next male-male team to win the Amazing Race Canada. Nine teams fell by the wayside, leaving three pairs of guys, Nick and Matt, Gina and Jesse, and Brennan and Sean. God knows that I did not transcribe the entire entirety of Monty's recap, because I have my own. And teams must now fly to Vancouver, BC, and find Terry Fox Plaza, been there, to find their next clue. They have $500 for this leg of the race, which, by my maths, makes $4,225 Canadian dollars for the entire race. It's got to be the most money ever for a single season of the race. And it's probably more than that because they didn't actually tell us how much they got for the first leg. Because hmm. I went back and actually had a look. And that, Logan, is why they can't have a fast forward every leg. Yeah, exactly. BMO can only have so many backs. They can't have the back of the fans who want a uh, fast forward every week. Just let me have that, Michael. <laughs> You know full well that if I was in charge of an Amazing Race UK, I'd make sure there was not a fast-forward every week for just for you. Also, I think the nobody... Canadian producers are doing that, too. Also, no offence, Logan, but I think you're literally the only person in the entire fandom of the Amazing Race who actually wants a fast-forward every week, so... But listen, Logan was one of the racers this season. According to Amazing Race Wiki, he was actually Jesse Montani in disguise. We have no idea who edited the wiki- Wikipedia with our names in it, by the way. It's still a mystery to us. Um, last weekend's podcast, we finally discussed the fact that someone had edited the Amazing Race wiki page for Gino and Jesse to change Gino and Jesse, or a team of brothers in the third season of the Amazing Race Canada, to the Voldemort Mussolini's are a team of brothers. This then changed to Michael Harvestone and Logan Saunders are, and also someone changed the actual Wikipedia, which is a little bit more serious than changing Tar Wiki, to... Um, their name from Gino and Jesse to the Volden Mussolini's. Yeah, like, I mean, nobody cares about the Amazing Race Wiki, but, like, Wikipedia is an actual thing people use, so... Sorry if the admin of the Amazing Race Wiki is listening. Yeah, I said this last week, you can stop now. Totally don't, it's awesome. It's a joke taken too far. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's getting sort of borderline creepy, but it still hurts. Especially since the Volta Mussolini's are like the this is the only only like area of the internet where we're actually called that. So, given that I've probably spent about four hours on Thursday just laughing my head off at it, maybe I'm juvenile. Yeah, yeah, you kind of are. Sorry, sorry Back about your it. canals. <laughs> <laughs> Which we've also got called out for. Hey Chris, you want to go paddle board in my backyard canals? Oh, that's going to be fun to start podcasting about. Uh, so we had Brent and Sean depart at 6.45am, Nick and Matt at 7.13, and Gina and Jesse at 7.20. So Gina and Jesse really weren't that far behind Nick and Matt, were they? No, the spread was a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be. Mind you, they were all at that task together, weren't they? They are all at the robot. Yeah, the scene must have taken a lot less than, you know, first established. Yeah. Although, it begs the question as to how fast me and Opie were behind you now, Jesse. Only a couple of minutes, I think. Oh, well. So damn close. And they would have then had the title of the first male-female team ever to make the final three of the Amazing Race Canada. Oh, yeah. Which, as I, as I pointed out last week, has never happened. Since a female team winning the race, that glass ceiling has already been broken. So when when's the point do we, when's the point we get uh, all, all three teams in the final three being female teams? Uh, season 17? Maybe, uh, Talk All-Stars. All three teams in the final three being males. That's not, a, that's not a new thing in the franchise, right? It's like, but it's, it's a new thing in the English-speaking Amazing Races, right? Yeah, it's happened twice in Latino America, season three and four. Isn't that true that, like, they've never had, like, a, uh, um, um, they haven't had anyone but all-male teams win that season, win that franchise, or? Oh, wait, those, those are, I think those are married couple who won the first season, but after that it's all, all been male teams. So, once teams get to Terry Fox Plaza, it's the first roadblock, which, given that they're next to PC place, everyone can guess. And it's who wants to roll with it. And in this roadblock, one team member must cycle across a narrow beam suspended on the roof of BC place. The beam has been designed to try and confuse a racer and make them drive off. Once they cross the beam, they receive their notice clue. And it's Gino, Matt, and Brent doing the roadblock. And it passed without incident apart from Brent. It was pretty boring. It was pretty boring because nobody, only Brent fell. <laughs> I like the fact that they deliberately try and trick the racers, but this really was not a good example of them trying to trick the racers. It would have been it would have been a better optical optical illusion if it was at night, but this is the day and you can clearly see the edges of the platform, so purpose? Not really? Kinda? Never mind. Yeah, so Gino and Matt both do it in one attempt and Brent does not. I like how when Gino finishes on the first attempt, he nearly gets clotheslined by the rope at the end of the course. He basically pulls an Eric Cardona. Except not quite. Except you know Eric Cardona's awesome. Yeah, I don't, if, if he was chasing a chicken across that plank, I don't think it would have survived the fall. Wait, they can fly, can't Chickens can fly, can't they? Yeah, but didn't they say it was like 200 foot up as well? It would be literally fight or flight. <laughs> yeah, true. And how was Sean allowed to get on the cherry picker and go and give Brent a pep talk? Uh, probably because they were really far behind. Probably because the producers thought it made a better scene. But at least we get a snarky response from Sean, which is, I think season four started. <laughs> yes. Well, the that was... The episode. Yeah, and that, and that was also, like, you know, once Sean, once Sean started heading up, that was when I was realised, oh, I'm not going to really like a lot of this season, am I? I mean, thankfully, kind of, I knew the results before I watched it, because it was all over the Facebooks. Mm. I was like, oh, Gina and Jesse won't know. Now I've got to sit through this. This is going to be harrowing. It is. Yeah, like, um, can we just, can I just ask, like, is there any, like, specific reason Gina and Jesse, like, they're the worst winners of all time, or is it just because of the fact that you predict them as boring, they were boring, and then they won? No, I think it's just that I don't like disingenuous teams. I don't like teams who go out of their way to lie like they did in the preseason. Because they were scampering around once the cast was announced and claiming every single tenuous heritage they possibly could and just sort of doing really disingenuous things, which which turned me off pre-season. And then they just didn't do anything to defy my expectations. I sort of... There were, there were moments this leg I liked them. It was sort of, sort of like a repeat of the India stuff with like the, the sibling bickering, but apart from that, it was just like, well... I didn't. I haven't disliked them this season. It's just like, um, well, there was the the taxi stealing last leg. I was sort of like, eh. But Nick and Matt were doing that too. And then like, they're just boring, really. And I can't really have an opinion on that. Uh. And I, I just think they were kind of unnecessarily arsy towards people as well, like they were with Nick and Matt. I know Nick and Matt were the villains and all that sort of crap that other people were claiming that Nick and Matt got a terrible edit last week. No, Gino and Jesse got buried last week. 
I'm more annoyed at the editors because they decided to basically pull a Freddy and Keiko Kendra and bury their winners before the final leg. Well, it, it, I, it worked for it worked for us predicting a win, wasn't it, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, but there's a difference between confusing us and outright making their winners unlikable six days before the finale's aired. Well, that's not really something you can avoid when it's like the main drama of the leg, is it? And then they, and then, and then they sort of like um, one upped it by making making another team look worse. There's a way that they could have edited it where Gina and Jesse would not have appeared to be massively villainous for doing it. Yeah, but like I said, the that part that the taxi drama was like a the one of the only drama drama this season, and b probably the only drama that leg. So to get rid of it to erase it to like um, do that was would be pretty ingenuous and make the leg a lot more boring than it actually was. And plus, I think what they really... I think what they tried to do was just make Nick and Matt worse, so Nick, Gina and Jesse sort of came off better. Because, like, you know, um, you know, lesser of two evils, sort of. The thing that struck me as a bit too misleading was the fact that Brent and Sean were purposely getting the very, very good guy added, even, like, better than Simi and Opie were. So to have them, like, not even place well in the final leg and just get just get measly third was sort of a bit of a downer i can see why they edited the way they did and so yeah i mean i'm not trying to defend them as like i didn't like them that leg but i can see what they're trying to do i just don't think it worked i don't think it worked that well but i can see what they're trying to do i can see their point of view as as nina garcia from project runway would say but none, none of you watch that show so never mind the problems that I have with this season can be divided into avoidable stuff and unavoidable stuff. My problem with the season is the route. The cast was brilliant. The brute was sucked. <laughs> Just to sort of jump ahead in the podcast a little bit. The cast was amazing. The boot order was absolutely dire. One of the worst boot orders we've ever seen. The editing was weird at times. They went out of their way to be very misleading, and that's something they can control. Or maybe, or maybe just like they're waiting for they're doing, pulling the long game, like waiting until waiting for a while to start their edits. Because like I remember, I remember um, saying like I think it was I think it was on the podcast I was on last time that my my top three was um, actually no I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but I was spoiled for the I was spoiled for the end of the season long before it actually aired, so I knew that the final three would be all male. So I figured it, I figured once they got sort of got like bland edits and Brent and Sean were like really caricatures and Nick and Matt were nothing. I figured that the, the three biggest characters at that point in the race, episode three would actually be the final three, like, which I think were Dujon and Leilani, Nick and Sabrina and Brian and Cynthia. But then like, but then they had it started to pick up and I was like, Oh, Oh, that's, this is happening. So, but it's just like, I, I'm not sure if it was a problem with, I'm not sure if it's like, I guess, like, the thing is that they really, no matter what the season, they need to sell their winners, and they kind of did. They won fan favourite, technically. Yeah, they won casual fan favourite, and then the... Week- well, the, ca- the casuals provide the casuals provide the ratings. Yeah, yeah, they won the casual fan favourite, and then the one week where someone could have changed it, they portrayed them as being pretty dickish. And I know Nick and Matt didn't come off clean from cabotage but they sucked in that they really sucked on that game yeah G- gino and jesse had the sort of edit where they were go where you were going you they cannot win they have such a terrible edit they're being buried by the editors so they are going to fail in the final leg and that's the sort of stuff that i take a little bit of umbrage with i think this season was more was a bad season for the long for the for like the hardcore fandom but it was a season that the casual fans could like i guess once teams get to the Whistler Olympic Plaza, they get their next clue, which sends them to the Squamish Lowat Cultural Centre, which I've also been past, and they have to search for the next clue. And we get the best visual of the leg, which is John drinking the pitcher of beer. And it's an active route info, which is to calculate the total distance travelled on the race this season using a map, some string, and a guide. If teams get an answer that was, is within 5% of the correct answer, which is 48,500 kilometres, they receive their next clue. And that means that answers of between 46,075 and 1595 will be accepted. Wasn't the best and task to watch for television. This was one of the worst memory challenges I've seen ever. 
not really, but like... Memory challenges trying to remember the boot order of who had been eliminated over the course of the past three weeks. That was a real doozy in season 16. Yeah, that was a terrible one. So yeah, not the worst. And we have a question from Eric Calvert-Erickson on Facebook. He wants to know, were you surprised that the memory challenge was a bit different to the previous two seasons? Surprised? No. Disappointed? Yes. I mean, the bits of string looked nice. It was red. I like that I finally got the official conversion from Commodus to Miles. 1.61. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to make hashtag 1.61. <laughs> yeah, mathematical hashtags. That's that'll make me pop. That'll make me popular. That's a real penny dropper. <laughs> Wrap the metric to imperial system conversion. Oh, I can see that being introduced in all the classrooms across North America. And Gino and Jesse fight, and Nick and Matt don't. Literally all I have about this task. Apart from Gino and Jesse leaving their working there when they leave. I didn't really think of that to be as much of a blunder as others made it out to be, because, I mean, Brent and Sean were hours behind and had zero chance of catching up by the end, so it didn't really matter whether they erased their answer or not. But if they had finished first and left their answer up there for Nick and Matt, then it would have come up as being really stupid. Yeah. It was still a pretty stupid thing on a mental task in the final leg. It's only really a blunder if it if it affects your placement, and it didn't. So kinda not really. It's almost like the, it's almost like they pretty much gave Brent and Sean zero credit for having the possibility of catching up to them. Yeah. I mean, or even just not really caring. Speaking of, even though they're like portrayed as the underdogs, they and well, they have sort of had lower placements, and they have you know place last in a non-elimination leg. They are actually the... They were they were the second highest rate placing team of the season, so... Well, as in, like, first places. Well, one... Well, time was the only line. They, they both got... Um, they both had two first-place finishes, but still, they had more... They had more first-place finishes, finishes than Nick and Matt, so... I guess if... Being hungry for first isn't your story of the season, then it doesn't count? So, probably? Maybe? I don't know, because my voice is going so high? And Mark Doyle on Facebook wants to know, not that it affected their placement, but did Brent and Sean break a rule at the final memory challenge? No. No. Nope. <laughs> they got lucky. Much, that's about as much as you can luck out at a final memory challenge on The Amazing Race. Just have the answer right there in front of you. It still took I longer find... to write down the answer than The Amazing Race 16 memory challenge, though. I find it strange how much like the fans this season really want there to be all these rules and regulations and punishments when the initial thing, the, the initial grasp of the of the series was that get from point get from one one place to the other and there's no like basically no rules on how you get there, wasn't it? So like so now that the now that now that all the um all the fans are wanting oh they should have had a penalty for stealing a taxi or you know that sort of annoying thing. <laughs> It just strikes me as sort of how far the race has gone in terms of the people who watch it. But we got to think of the children, Ben. We got to we got to set a good example for them, and we need all but these it, rules to teach teach kids fair play. And it's the responsibility of CTV and the Amazing Race Canada to do that. And they've also got to they've also got to responsibly raise the country's tourism, apparently. <laughs> yes. $55,000 and a boost in tourism is just for you. I was going to say when they're getting paid $55,000. So teams must now find the Barefoot Bistro, which I've never heard of, and cleanly sabre two bottles of champagne each, one with a sabre and one with the stem of a wine glass to receive their next clue. I've barely uh, even heard of, any, of mostly provinces in this season, let alone actual places. Like Saskatoon? That's a, that's, that's, that's not, did, you have a, did you have a seizure while saying that name? I hear Sign that at Austin... Oh, you, you go, let you go me go again. ahead, Ben. No, just kidding. I, I, I hear that Austin from Big Brother 17 was seen at the Barefoot Bistro. We won't say what you're doing, though. I, okay. <laughs> uh, it was a no, terrible joke. Wasn't... So yeah, this is as interesting a test to watch as you can think. There was a lot of plugging of the Vancouver 2010 Olympics throughout this leg, which they also tried to plug repeatedly uh, during Season 1 of Amazing Race Canada as well. It's like Vancouver is no other identity uh, at the moment. Yeah, that's purely because John was an Olympian. That doesn't excuse over everything else that plugged this like plugged this season for no reason. Was Tom also a brewer? Was Tom also I don't know a, a diplomat in India or something? 
Well, John has got his own beer now. Oh, lovely. At least. <laughs> yeah, but as of last year, right, he uh, he's he's came out with it. In fact, he sent you one, sent you a picture of one of his favorite beers this week, Logan. Oh yeah, the oh, Red look. Rage. He's t- he told me he told quote unquote Mister Manbone to try the Red Rage beer, and I have I have not tried it yet, but I'll get to it soon. I love the fact that I knew that Monty could be that reliable. I wanted him to do a video where he cussed you out, Logan. That was my wish. He's too nice. He he wouldn't do that, Michael. Uh you know you know different you know recognize the difference from composed and nice. So once teams leave the champagne task, they have to head to the uh, Whistle Village gondola and ride it to the top to find their next clue. Jesse, where'd you put the tickets? I don't know. Where are the tickets? I don't know. Where are the tickets? Oh, here they are. Scene. <laughs> Pretty much. I left it on the plane. Hamilton! It w- would have been even funnier <laughs> if they would have opened the clue and found Hamilton's passport. <laughs> I don't know where it is! So the roadblock was who wants to meet their match, and in this roadblock, the team member who didn't do the last roadblock must match the ski provided to an exact replica out of the thousands on the mountain. Once they have a match, they must ride the peak-to-peak gondola to Blackcomb Mountain, find a ski school, and use the skis to go down a ski jump into a pool of water to receive their next clue from an Olympian that no one has heard of. And once again, the only thing, the only like thing of note that happens in this ta- in this two-part task is them discovering oh, you have to match shoe size as well. (laughs) Did Nick say that his feet are size 7 as well? Because that is very small if they are. (laughs) I'm size 10. I think it's isn't there like a different size for like for fitting shoes? So I know here I think there's can be two different numbers depending on which... Oh, don't tell me that Canada has its own shoe sizing system as well. I, I think so. Like, I remember, I think there's, like, the Europe style and then the North American style, if I recall correctly. Oh, no, I need to I need actually look this up. up. I'm a size 12. I'm size 10, and Nick looks like he's a bit of a bigger dude than I am. I'm pretty sure he said he was a size 7, which would make his feet basically... 24, 25 centimeters long. That's tiny. That is tiny. American, I'm a size... I'm a size 14 American, so I have feet double the size of Nick and Matt. Nick. Or was it Matt? Which one is it? Which one was it? Nick. It was Nick, but it, it's not double the size because it's... I know, I know that, like, double the, double the size number. Cause, you know, his feet, and his feet apparently he's like nine the anti, points... he's like the anti sideshow bomb. Yeah, apparently his feet are 20, uh, 24.4 centimeters long. Welcome to YATN cast, the number one home for foot fetishes. <laughs> Yeah, in Canada, mine would be twelve and a half apparently. Yeah, I just got it as well. Which means, which means that in what Nick's would be size six, which is basically the same shoe size as my mother. Unless, unless there's different shoes, unless a different um, sizing for um, skis. I like to think that uh, Nick's feet are actually the same size as my mother's, basically. Wonder if they were bound at birth. So if you if you look at if you look at the full figure of Nick, is he like those if you, is he like those uh, pop bubble heads, which are like um, gigantic heads and tiny feet that are, that can't hold you up their weight? Yeah, dressed as a Sasquatch. That's his and gimmick in the ring. Why would you be a wrestler if you if you have such tiny feet? You that would be out of balance. Like if you if you bulk if you're bulking up and you and everything is going to be so much bigger that you you're going to like. Does he go through like tripping over? Is there like a entire is there an entire blooper reel of Nick, of Nick tripping over everywhere? Yeah, Argentina, India, Saskatoon. And this was a completely underwhelming final task. Get your ski signed up, grab a stick of juicy fruit. The task is gonna move ya. Yeah, it's Jesse, Nick, and Sean having to do this roadblock. It's a popular Canadian commercial, Ben. <laughs> okay. Juicy fruit. It's a okay. it's gum. I'm sorry. I'm sorry we don't get your Canadian television advertisements in Australia. <laughs> Look it up on YouTube. It's got to be up there. That that guy would be more famous than any of these Olympians that have been shown over the past couple of seasons. We were complaining a couple of weeks ago that we hadn't seen a gratuitous Olympian yet, other than John. So it's nice to see uh, see a random Olympian that I can't even remember the name of. You know. It kind of diminishes the effect of actually meeting an Olympian when they actually when they name every single um, um, task judge and like give them a name and a backstory and give them all the camera time. So it actually so when they actually meet someone famous, it kind of lessens the effect. So like I care more about that um, the the First Nations woman who was like, "Your sticks do not match." 
or whatever it was back in Neil Kristen's elimination. Like I care about more about her than this random Olympian who who was actually named and got a backstory and everything. So and who we only saw once because I'm not sure we actually saw him hand out the clue to any team other than Gino and Jesse. Mm, exactly. Uh, so once teams complete this piss poor roadblock. Uh, they must now head to the 12th hole of the Nicholas North Golf Club, the finish line for this race. The first team to check in here will win the Amazing Race Canada. How Which would have been the fifth hole? Yeah, should have been five hole. I get it. <laughs> and it was Gino and Jesse who won. Yay! <laughs> Episode recap over. Did we even talk about the Lion Sabrine or any of that? Because I have zero comments on that. Yeah, there's nothing to say apart from G- Jesse forgetting to... Uh, wear his seatbelt on the way there. That's oh yes, that two second pause. Yeah, the cliffhanger that they actually used, which was, will Jesse put his seatbelt on? <laughs> and John went a little bit grunt bowler when he told Gino and Jesse that they won. You guys have won the Amazing Race Canada. <laughs> Especially Amazing Race Australia too. Grunt bowler for the first eleven pit stops is just sort of very deadpan, and then he just goes off his face on the finale. <laughs> It's like, guys, you won! Yeah, so second was Nick and Matt, and third was Brent and Sean. And Sean vomited at the finish line. Yeah, just like we predicted. Was he like, did he do that intentionally, or did they just have to run a lot again? He just wanted the attention. So we have quite a lot of listener questions, thankfully, so we don't have to talk about that episode anymore. Can I just say that, like, the stuff I said about the Olympian, can I just say it also applies to the legs? So, like, going to, going to Vancouver has a lot less of an effect when you spent, like, you know... Eight legs in Canada. Oh, you're in Quebec, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, um, British uh, British Columbia, some island with the water kayaking. Duh, duh, duh. Oh, you're going to Vancouver. Okay, yay. I should catch. Should I? Should I? International viewer care? I mean, it's it's the same as every other Canadian lake, basically. The thing is that uh, Vancouver is actually a pretty awesome place for them to have a leg in an international season. In any other season, or in a Canadian season, yeah, Because they just go there so much. How many times have they been there again? Um, it's every season, I think. Have they ended every season there? No, they haven't ended every season there, because it was the Toronto Islands in season one, and it was Ottawa uh, last year. Is this Vancouver or British Columbia? Well, Vancouver's in British Columbia. Vancouver's Ottawa? the city, is... British Columbia's the province. Oh yeah, you're talking about the ending. Sorry, I I live there. I missed up. I mind blanked on that. Also, same thing. Like if you, you talk up every Canadian place you visit as amazing, so why should I assume that um why should I assume that Vancouver is any more amazing than you know Saskatchewan or Saskatoon or whatever or Sudbury? I mean, you talk up you talk up every single place as um you know uh, diverse with Canadian beauty or whatever and diverse Canadian history and so why should I why should I care about Vancouver if you're talking about every single place like that? Or murderous Manitoba? What? You don't know that Winnipeg's one of the murder capitals of the world. <laughs> okay. It genuinely is. Yeah, Winnipeg's the murder capital of Canada and it's located in Manitoba. So so it's the uh it's the it's the Cabot Cove of uh Canada. The place the place the place where Murder She Rose so. When you see a, a license plate from Manitoba, it does say Welcome to Murderous Manitoba. Well, I probably won't, so unless they have unless they start, you know, shipping out Canadian cars to Australia. So uh, so we'll start with the question that neither of you have seen, because it's an awesome one. And it's from friend of the podcast, David A. Bindley. Who says uh, Amazing Race Canada 1 felt like the producers were doing China Rush. Amazing Race Canada 2 felt like the producers were doing Australia. Amazing Race Canada 3 felt like the producers were doing Latin America. Which version would you like to see them do for Season 4 and why? Israel? I would Uh, second that. (laughs) I sent him um, a reply pretty much as soon as he sent me that saying, you know what the answer is given our love of Hammer Arts, right? Of course it would be Hammer Arts. I want to see teams fly to France and have to eat the entire ingredients of a cake as part of a detour, including the candles. Plus the face-offs are better. Plus the face-offs are better. Like, it's, it's not boring sports. It's like, I think one of them was like, um... I think it was like a version of musical chairs in the middle of a square somewhere. <laughs> yes, it was. One of my favourite ones that I've read about was when they flew them to London last season and made them have someone dress as uh, one of the Queen's Guard, one person from each team, and have to stand to attention and not have any emotion on their face. And then have uh, the other person from each team try and tickle them. To try and make them lose. 
And that actually got penalties, may I point out. I think one team actually took a penalty to quit that task. I don't know why. So Simeon OP and Neil and Christian and Nick and Sabrina aren't, aren't, aren't wusses. It happens all the time. Although nothing is ever going to beat their, their visit to Vegas and that face-off, which was a modified version of strip poker. This is how I learned the, about the, the, the face-off. For the face-off? Yeah. And that's not even going into the task on the actual leg, which was, like, get people married. And the, the one that basically followed in the second part of that leg, which was, we're going to um, bury one person alive to simulate the mafia for half an hour. Oh, lovely. But what about what about America's tourism? That, you, don't don't, don't Israel think about their tourism? I believe the pit stop for that leg of the race was a random corner where they stepped on the pit stop mat and the host kidnapped them in a limo and gave them their next clue. So it was a keep on racing leg? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say it was a double length leg, but yeah. Keep on ransoming leg. They must sign a lot of waivers in Israel. It was more of a double length leg, but they got basically kidnapped in, in a limo given the uh, clue and then chucked out the limo again by the host. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Hammerhouse is, like, the best version. If only we could all speak Hebrew. We would be podcasting about that, definitely, if we could. In fact, that's an off-season project for anyone listening. If you speak Hebrew, please translate Hammerhouse so we can podcast about it. I think this is the third plea we've done for that. I know, but eventually it'll work. Eventually. Anyway. Um... Yeah, let's let's see a version... Let's see a version of, you know, the Amazing, of the Amazing Race Canada trying to be... Trying to be Hammer... Uh, can we call it... I'm, I'm calling it Amazing Race Israel, because Hammerot sounds like a venereal disease or something. Hammerot's Lamillion. You're not helping, Michael. Oh, I've got a terrible case of the Hammerot's Lamillions. You should, you should take some aspirin for that. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir, you've got Hammerot's. And Kurt Reptil says, What new elements of the race do you think should be added or taken out, such as the yield, merge, or save? I reckon they should probably take out this, hot, this thing called Air Canada. Yeah, they should take out Air Canada, number one. But salvage pass is something I've been arguing for. Canadians would obviously use it to save the team. You don't even have just, to have it on leg one anymore. Australia, just, just just throw everything in there, like uh, face off, double um, double battle, um, yield intersection, U turn, double U turn, blind U turn, blind double U turn, triple triple blind double U turn, triple deaf double U turn. Well, I was saying this to Logue a couple of days ago. I'd completely forgot that major race because Australia suits had a yield in it. Well, it, it's it was in the, like the, the least notable leg, so it was. But also, that's awesome. They had a U-turn, a must-vote U-turn, and a yield in the same season. Yep, that's why it's the best. Yeah, despite what David, despite what David A. Binley says. <laughs> Love you, Dave. They, they should try a must-vote U-turn in the next Amazing Race Canada. That would be interesting to see how that works out. Also, if you get cast for Amazing Race Canada, Ben and I are just going to be roasting you for twelve weeks because you won't be able to fight back. Mm-hmm. Just reminding you. Because it will happen. Uh, so, Catherine Matthias says, Logan's post about the fan favourites reminds me of a question I've wondered for a while. Does it seem like the odds are against all-women teams on The Amazing Race? I'm trying to remember how far along the average all-women team gets. I don't think it's u- it's usually close to the final legs. But it can't be because women tend to be smaller, since some of them have been taller and some male teams have been shorter. Has anyone else noticed this? Is this a phenomenon? Do they know the reason? It's all about casting. Like... The the problem with up until a certain point in the American version, the problem was they they didn't really cast teams that had teams that um very rarely they cast female teams that that really had the capacity to win. Like you had like there was there was Charlotte and Myrna, there was the um, Beauty Queens, and there was the there was um both in season six and season seven the the female teams that ended up placing in ninth. And then in between then and then and seventeen, let's say, there was um basically they're basically all cast as filler, really. But one of the phenomenons from the Amazing Race Asia and all the international versions is Gasp. They cast they cast female teams who are characters do well and probably win. Like, you know, Zabrina and Zabrina and Joe Jair, um, Jess and Lani, uh, Ida and Tanya, uh, Vanessa and Pamela. You know, all these all great teams, placed great, did well, have a lot of skills that um, I'm not sure if it's specific to Asia or you know just their regions, but they cast they cast female teams who were ab- able to do well in the race and had were competitive, and that's something they didn't really they didn't really nail until season 17 with Brooke and Claire and um, Nat and Katz. Some and, of the Asian teams you know, even beat uh, Mark and Reveal soon. 
might they point out. Who are still yes. the number one in average ever. Exactly. Like, and no, did any female teams ever beat, uh, did female teams ever beat Dave and Rachel, who I think are the American ones? Or is that Eric and, Eric and Jeremy? Eric and Jeremy have still got the record. Eric and Jeremy held the record for a while till Mark and Robertson came along. Oh, who cares about them? Anyway, Dave and Rachel. <laughs> Just cutting. Um, but yeah, like, I think the thing is that, um, it's it's not that he's, it's not that like um the fact that the female is against them is just like a casting b the route and c you know um the the nature of the season like I think it's the nature of a, a lot of North American reality shows for women who have women alpha females are usually targeted as as quickly as possible by the alpha males but people are afraid to go up against alpha males because of like you know the whole social standing in society meaning that they um you know. Just stop me before I go off my off my you know tumble around basically. But you get yeah you get the idea. Like um, fe- you know females are generally like cut off at the cut off of the head when it comes to like competitive stuff like you know Big Brother or Survivor. And on the Amazing Race, if they if they cast them, they tend to be in coincidence with twists such as the yield and the U turn, which can cut them off at the knees. So I think I think um I think the thing is like. We saw another female team, a female team win last year in 25. We saw like last, still last year, we saw the, the strongest female team of the North American versions, Natalie and Megan. It's all about casting and all, also all about the route as well. Uh, not, it's all about casting, basically. Yeah, if you look at the female female teams this season, though, it was Dana and Amanda and Susan and Sean, who, yeah, for want yeah. of a better term, were cannon fodder. None of us had them very high in the preseason anyway. None of us really thought a female female team was going to do very well at all this season. Also, Dana and Amanda ran up a mountain. Yeah, both of the all female teams are very physically fit this season, but just for whatever reason, didn't have much else going for them during the first three rounds. Yeah, the the female teams were very physically fit, but the other, every single other team on the season, except for like Brent and Sean, was also very, very, very physically fit. Like. Brian Smith, the former army people, um, Vijay and Lani, physical dancers, Gina and Jesse were built, built, um, Nick and Matt, wrestlers, you know, that sort of, and Neil and Kristen for football, football, sports people. So you'll, you'll notice, you'll notice that apart from, apart from unfinished business, that whenever they cut, whenever they cast for teams for seasons with, that usually get female, that have gotten female winners, which is season 17 and season 25. The male teams they cast are never the type are never the types that actually go far. Like season seven, season seventeen, you get Connor and Jonathan and Kev Jumba. Season twenty five, you get the firefighters and Tim and TJ. I mean, Tim and TJ did well. They were, they were sixth place, but like they were sixth place, right? Tim and TJ was Tim and TJ was sixth place, but you know they they weren't didn't excel. But like that was the that was the team of the females of the females doing really well and female teams doing really well with Kim and Ali and. And Amy Meyer won that season, and it's and just because of the competition at the end, and be also because of the male teams they cast around them. So if you don't cast, if you don't cast strong, if you don't cast strong male teams to oppose them, and you also cast strong female teams by yourself, you have a better chance of female teams a making the end and b winning. So yeah, that's what I was getting at. I think. And Mark Doyle wants to ask a question that I've been asking for a while. How are the pit stop creators chosen? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know? No, I don't. I'm that that took that I was thinking about that question too, but I have no idea outside of past amazing race Asia contestants probably being contacted. Um, I don't think there's a there's not really a well known answer to that whole process. I assume it'd be like a family member of a who knows somebody in the local crew in whatever city they're visiting. That'd be my guess. I'm Phil's dad. <laughs> Or, yeah, exactly. Uh, Linda Pierce wants to know how far behind were Brent and Sean. It looked like they caught up, but maybe when the brothers and the wrestlers were going to the final pit stop. Had to have been at least an hour, because 20 attempts on the cycle and then eat between each reset, I assume, took about five minutes. So that's, you know, you're, that's close to two hours behind right there. And then they probably made up about a half hour on the, on the quote-unquote to memory challenge uh, with the... With the map of the world. And 
Catherine Matthias wants to know, do you know anything about whether Air Canada will be the sponsor next year? If they weren't, what cities globally do you think would be good for Canadian races <sighs> to visit? <laughs> God, I hope they're not. <laughs> equalizer, equalizer, equalizer. Go nowhere, go nowhere. <laughs> go to Greenwood, British Columbia or wherever. The one thing that I would will say is that when they flew to India, it wasn't a code-sharing flight, which is how I assumed it would be when they did international travel. So that's actually a good sign. Because if they do keep Air Canada, that means that they still are able to use every other airline that's in their group. So is is Air Canada like a blanket a blanket or umbrella company that has a lot of things under it? Air Canada is part of... Um, oh, so it's part, it's part of a group. Part of a group, which... Um, has like Air Canada in it, Air India. Oh, so it's like um, like how uh, I'm not sure if you get like how uh, Jetstar is a part of Qantas. Oh man, could you imagine? Could you imagine Jetstar having to you know be a sponsor for the Amazing Race Australia? They never go anywhere. <laughs> you're going to ex- you're going to Exotic Byron Bay. Yeah, it's part of Star Alliance, so we, we could see flights with Air China, Air India, Air New Zealand, Lufthansa. So if 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 Air Canada still remain the sponsors, does that mean that they will be using those to go overseas and stuff? They could do, yeah. It's within their. Thank you. Like I'm like as you know as much of a fan quote unquote as I am of you know seeing the majestic Canadian countryside for for over half the race. I'd like to see the world. Yeah, the whole point of watching Amazing Race is the world. I mean, I'm a starving student. I don't get to travel. I don't get to travel that often, so I'd like to see in the Amazing Race vicariously through them, please. I mean, that's what everyone, that's what everyone except Canada, except Canada apparently watches the Amazing Race for. So, yeah, what really annoyed me is at the finish line when John asked uh, Gina and Jesse, "What would you like to tell people about this amazing country?" And their their first response was, "Oh, you don't need to travel elsewhere." Yes, you do. That is the Amazing Race. They really said that. I might have to. I might have to document a few points. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go anywhere. We have everything right here. <laughs> Stay in Canada forever and ever and ever. I actually transcribed it on the uh, on the group chat. What's the one thing you want to tell everyone about Canada? We have everything here. You don't need to travel abroad. Nationalistic pride. We, you, don't, you don't have to travel abroad. That's how we. That's how we, how we almost lose legs. So don't do it. <laughs> That's how we almost lost to Susan and Sharanjeet. <laughs> Going back to my my point earlier, why do editors put that sort of shit in? Is it just to wind me up? It's to appeal to the audience. The stupid, stupid audience. Sorry, I just I hate I, I hate the Canadian fan base. Sorry. Yeah, well, like Gino and Jesse, the two t- two out of three times where they were really close to being eliminated were on the international legs, and then the. Other two international legs, they didn't win either of them. So, yeah, I can see why they don't want to leave Canada ever again. The thing is, editors have a choice with everything that they do. Editors also choose to put in like a five-minute monologue on on the majestic Vancouver countryside or whatever every single time a task is introduced there. So, you know, you know where their priorities lie. So, yeah. Yeah, they chose or were told to include that quote. And that's what makes me nervous for season four. Because season four is confirmed now. And hopefully our very own Logan will be on it. So that we can mock him. Yay. But it just worries me when I hear that they're saying things like that. It's very worrying. Yeah. So should we discuss or bitch about the season as a whole now? I think it can really be summed up as fantastic cast, shit route, bad, um, terrible boot order, meh winner. Well, I find the winner, Matt. You, fi- you find him the worst of all time, but still. Well, one of the worst. It's probably... Who are you worst? Who are you worst? Uh, Freddie and Kaker Kendra are on everyone's list. Damon Connor moved up slightly because they actually repented for their sins in all the... Oh, boo. Oh, boo-hoo. The exit interviews. Um, I've never been partial to Akita and Jen win, although it's not as bad as... Excuse me? Oh my god, you're just doing that wind me up, whatever. It's so boring. I, I might have I might have mentioned them just to wind you up. I, I definitely wasn't supporting them, I was supporting Gary and Mallory. Um, boring! I mean, you saying that to wind me up, but not, not Gary and Mallory, they're alright. Gary and Mallory are awesome. Who else don't I like? I don't like a lot of the winners, honestly. Gino and Jesse, to me, are sort of like Tyler and James, but slightly worse. 
and Tyler James can at least has like a theoretical fan base out there. Like, you know, the the same pe- the same people who really 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 love Aris are the same people who probably really like T- Tyler and James. But Gino and Jesse, I can't really see it. Also, I really 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 like Aris. So, yeah, what annoyed me with Gino and Jesse as well is the fact that everyone was posting, "Oh my god, I can't believe they did this cabotage," but I'm still supporting them because they're so dreamy. Get over yourselves. Yeah, but it's like it's like Andrew Savage's children. He's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I had the Survivor premiere to keep me entertained. You know, in in theory, they're perfect. I mean, like the one who's always on the left looks like a melted Kendall, but still. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, we're not, we're not getting a Jada and Jesse interview. Oh well, who cares? <laughs> I think that ship sailed long ago. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said that they had a good sense of humor about us calling them the Voldemort Silides. I thought they, I thought they did. I think they do. I think they do. Did anyone on after the race um, call them the Voldemort Silides? No. Oh, yeah. Nobody on the after the race special called them that. No, unfortunately, the after the race special ended up being really boring, except for James Duffy cutting off Hamilton when he was trying to give a serious answer right before commercial, and and then. Uh, James Duffy awarding the fan favorite award to Dane and Amanda. And then Dane and Amanda just thanking Newfoundland and Labrador because they knew nobody else probably voted for them. And that's the only reason why they would have won the award. They actually got the award oh. on TV right before the end of the show. They didn't even do any, like, this is because how the scene pretty much played out is, well, uh, Gino and Jesse won the fan favorite award, but because they already won the race, they already won free gas for life. So, Unless they have an afterlife where they can use their other uh, free gas, we have to give it to the second place team in the poll, Dan and Amanda. <laughs> we'll see you next season. <laughs> That's pretty much what it was, and then Duchon started oh. dancing in the credits. He got up right in front of James Duffy and started dancing. I also love the fact that Amanda was actually present. Because I saw the group photo, I was like, oh, Amanda actually bothered. She's present to receive the prize. She was probably can I just, told before. Kind of say. Can I just say, oh, sorry, sorry, I interrupted you, but can I just say that if if Jane and Jesse hadn't won hadn't won the final leg and that and their edit in the penultimate leg had been even worse and they made out to be like the devil incarnate and then and then eventually it, it went to after the race and they did win fan favorite. Can I just call that like sort of like national patriotic karma or something? Because like this entire season, this entire season, the casual fan base hated on every single entertaining team that was out there. They hated on Nick Sabrina. They hated on Neil and Kristen once they got entertaining. They hated on Brian and Cynthia. They hated on Dujon and Leilani. Well, some people did. Like, you know, some people as in casual racists. Anyway, they hated on Dujon and Leilani. You know, every single entertaining team that was out there, they hate they hated on them. They, they supported the boring teams. Well, Newfoundland supported Dana and Amanda because it's Newfoundland. And then they supported, they supported Gino and Jesse all season long. So I think if they had won that, the fan favorite at the end of the season after stealing a cab from um, stealing a cab from one of the other fan favorites, and then all this outrage in the final week, one final week of voting, and they still win fan favorite anyway. That would have been very satisfying. Uh, let me just say that's that's what I wanted too. Uh, right after cabotage happened, because I thought that would have been that would have been just uh, golden. Just how awkward that would have been. That's what I was looking forward to with the reunion show, but then. Gino and Jesse won, and I thought, oh, there goes the awkward moment, but, I mean, Dean and Amanda winning fan favorite instead is kind of hilarious, too, but it would have been super awkward if Gino and Jesse got it. Yeah, I was just hoping and praying that that would happen, because I just wanted to see Duthie's face after having to talk about cabotage and then go, oh, by the way, guys, you got, like, three times as many votes as everyone else. Congrats! Well, Dana and Amanda winning was like the equivalent of, of Jason becoming coming top three and fan favorite for Big Brother Seventeen. Like, you know, but, you can tell, you know, that the voting for the other the other, the people in front was just so large that the the, the, the runner up was just completely random. The thing is, Jason at least it, it's fairly logical that Jason would have been top three. I I'm not annoyed that Jason was top three. Jason was at least reasonably entertaining. And he made. Yeah. I mean, he was on TV for over five weeks, and people could watch him on feeds twenty four seven. Dean and Amanda were in the first three episodes, and yeah, probably had but, under but five were, minutes total. <laughs> and what are they ever going to use the field for anyway? Apparently, they run everywhere. So exactly, that's that's kind of the irony. 
And they're in Newfoundland. Yeah, maybe next season if Logan's not on, we need to start a campaign for the most random team to win. Just the team who we know is not going to win the race. So basically, a low, but we're going to be a low-budget version of Vote for the Worst? Yeah, pretty much. All right, I can get I can get behind that. Of course, if Logan is on there, we're going to have to vote for every other team. <laughs> but first, but first, should we just should we just like go through the teams this season? Because I haven't been I haven't been in the, on the podcast all season, so I haven't really had a had a place to like get gauge what you people what you guys think of them of all the teams. So okay, Max and Elias first then. I love the Elias. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And why? Because I mean, I mean, I get, I get, I, oh yeah, I mean, I get, I get it's because of like the the TUF thing, but like still tough. It's called tough. Although I, although I, still call, I still accidentally call him Max. So and also, um, Max was awesome on the first after the race special. We and did miss was... out on a lot with Max and Elias. And I forget the comment Mac, Max had in this after the race special, but it was fairly amusing as well. Like she would have been. I think she would have done really well with confessionals, and Elias is a naturally witty and comedic guy. Like he is, his Twitter, his Twitter account has some of the funniest tweets when it comes to commenting on mixed martial arts, and a lot of people follow him for that. I and get it. And he reminds it. me of one of my brothers. So I think if Elias made didn't get that one task out of ten thousand that could have put them out of the race. I think we would have been talking about them a lot more and a lot more favorably rather than just the rather than just the Met team of this season. I I get it, but like castles can't be uh, to, to me castles can't be can't be built on dream, built on dreams because they need they need a solid foundation. So like the only foundation I got with Max and Elias as a viewer who watches a lot of reality shows and doesn't have doesn't have time to catch up with every single racer and their Twitter account, racer or competitor or designer or drag queen and their Twitter account or social media or whatever, I kind of have to go what I've seen on the show. And what I show, saw on the show was, oh, he, oh, Elias is a T, is an ultimate fighter or whatever. Oh, he um, has dyslexia. Oh, he's gone. Bye. Oh, Susanna, Susanna and Shanjik were saved, saved instead. Yay. Yeah. And then we get Gina and Sylvia 2.0 with Susan and Char. That's not a bad thing, though. Duffy mentioned it actually. This was hilarious at the reunion thing too. Um, they were talk. They were talking to Brian and Cynthia about lying about being police officers, and then Cynthia said, "Oh, we lied about being police officers because you guys are still talking about it." In other words, they just couldn't come up with a good enough excuse as to why they lied about being police officers, since everyone else on the stage debunked their arguments. But then they were like, "Well, Susan Sharnji, you two are correctional officers. What do you think?" And, and then the first thing they said is, not only are we proud correctional officers, we're also proud mothers. And they said about two more words, and that was it for them in the reunion show. And then our female Newfoundland cops as well. They were out of mountain. Next. English? English? <laughs> they were disappointingly close to knocking out Gino and Jesse. Poor purse lady. She didn't have any Mentos <laughs> on her. And then Hamilcaria. Hamilcaria? Yeah. Hamilton and Michaela. That's a weird portmanteau. <laughs> Anyway, obviously the lesser of the transgender contestants who have been cast this year, but still, they were alright. They were alright in the final leg. They were alright, I guess, in general. Thankfully, they went out instead of Nick and Sabrina, because then we had two more legs of Nick and Sabrina. And Cynthia telling off Hamilton is pretty much the only other piece of fun drama we had this season. Listen, he lost his passport way before you did, bud. (laughs) And now the aforementioned Nick and Sabrina. J'adore. J'adore, indeed. Nick and Sam, I know you do listen occasionally. We love you dearly. There'll be not a bad word said about you. Isn't it great when, like, one... and It's great when you have one team for... How many episodes were, in, were they on the race? They were on the race, six episodes, and for at least five of them, they carried all the drama, all the entertainment, so... Oh, it was such a loss for the season when Nick and Sam went. Oh, definitely. Like, top three... Top, they're the top three teams for the season for me, so... I mean, I I really really like two other teams, so they're not first for me. But if they if Dijon and Leilani and Brian and Cynthia had stayed on their trajectory where they were at the start, Nick and Sabrina were my favourite. But but you know the teams improved, so top three is still good though. If you do the end of year pool again, Nick and Sabrina are gonna be top ten, I suspect. They should be top ten. Casuals hate them though. Yeah, but I'm going to be voting. For I mean, 10. I mean, we can all we can all dream about hate about Blair and Haley being the best team of 2000 of 2015, but that's not happening. So yeah, but we got Suki and Jinder last year, who casuals hated. 
for four likes. Yeah, but like, uh, yeah, but yeah. Once again, once again, I had to delete a lot of Cowboys votes who only voted for the Cowboys and who also like really did not know how to fill in forms. So, so I think that might have had something to do with it. Anyway, instructions were there. They didn't follow them. That loss, but like you know, I, but like. Yeah, there's not that much to fill in this year, so yeah, who knows? Uh, Neil and Kristen. Boring for the first two episodes, but then like, but then once um once the third episode hit and they they didn't want a leg, like Kristen's Kristen's pretty much a harpy, but that's hilarious, a hilarious harpy, and I love seeing her and her annoy the shit out of her, her competitors, annoy the shit out of the casual fan base, annoy the shit out of everyone, and I'm really it's she was one of the many losses from the from eighth to fourth that season, so... She's the only one that truly backed my Funniest Complaints blog. Her and Matt are the two that follow it the most. And also, Kristen got the creepy stalker who kept appearing on your Funniest Complaints oh, blog. Oh, that guy, yeah. That guy was... Oh. <laughs> oh! If you're out there, you're a freak. <laughs> and next was another massive loss to the season, Brian and Cynthia Bud. Oh, lovely. They were a great team, that... Is my favorite team of, the t- team of the season, so I will apologize to Brian and Cynthia if they are if they somehow get wind of this. I did put you as being first boots. You are definitely not first boots, and I'm glad you were not first boot. What a random team to like dominate par- half of the season. Like they got second, 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 third. So I I didn't expect it from the start of the leg, I start of the race, and as well as being pretty hilarious characters in themselves, I love that too. So good on you. Good and on also you. their final leg was amazing. With them just looking suspiciously at everyone in India. Uh, Michael, 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 Michael. All these podcasts are the same. No. Apparently, since on the reunion show, uh, Cynthia was saying that she did, in fact, give Brian a timeout uh, after they got back. A timeout, yes. Uh-huh. A Canadian. Dijon and Leilani were next. Don't even, Michael. Don't ever tell me to stop talking on this podcast. I've got Ben to do that. Yeah, that's true. I really, I really like them. They're, they're easily like the best exes team that's ever been on the Amazing Race. So, I praise. I what? said, th- I said this preseason. I always love an ex team. Ex teams are always hilarious. Mixed results. I mean, Vanessa and Ralph are, were, you know, exes. So they're also way more fun when they become exes during the season. Like that exactly. team in, like that team in um, uh, Hammerots. <laughs> yeah, the ones who go. You know what? Uh, this isn't working out. We're gonna split up. But we've got to keep racing together, because that's not awkward. Yeah, like, no joke, that happened, that ha- no joke, Logan, that happened in the season of uh, Hammerots. First season, I believe, wasn't it? The sec- I think it was the second season. Wasn't it Tom and Adele? I think. I think so. Yeah, whatever season it was, it happened. Only on Hammerots. He was a football player, I think. Yeah, football player, and also, um, some, and also one competitor's, uh, appendix almost exploded on, on a, after the, after winning a leg, so. Oh, we need to see Hammerots. An appendisplosion? Almost. Like that scene in The Simpsons where the, with all the knives. Like, don't <laughs> thank me, thank you. Simi and Opie were next. They were, like, um... They were underrated for most of the season, but when we, when we, got, to them, when we got them and we got contact from them, it was pretty great. Oh, Opie's victory dances. And Simi's uh, crotch thrust as well uh, during that turban roadblock. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> oh. And then our final three: Brent and Sean. Oh my god! <laughs> gently, Simi, gently. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get a gently Simi in there at one point. Anyway, Brent and Sean. I predicted they'd be third place, and I wasn't wrong. And what do you think of them as a team? Uh, well, Sean's pukey is obviously one of my favourite recurring jokes from editors in a long time. You and a seven-year-old appreciate that, Michael. I just love the fact that the first impression that we have of them is, oh, Sean's puker. And then it sort of goes away until, Ilda la Madeleine, to quote Sabrina. And then it just keeps ramping up and happens every week. And Brent and Sean's pit stop entrance into Saskatoon will go down as one of the best ever, I suspect. Pretty hilarious. Because it it's just such a, a fantastic scene. Because I've watched Brent and Sean's pukey entrance so many times. You just see them sort of run up and think, ah, shit, Gino and Jesse behind us. And then Brent dry heaves, then Sean dry heaves, and then you just sort of see Monty pointing 
and the greeter going, oh shit, I hope he doesn't puke. And then they barrel in, Sean trips over his bag, then, then before Monty can even get a word out, all the greeter can say, welcome to Saskatoon, home of the First Nations people, or whatever it was he said. Sean just starts trying to puke, and Monty's pissing himself laughing. The Greek is just looking like, you've just done that on sacred land. And then all the casual fans are like, how dare he? Oh, it's just yeah. such a comedy of errors. It's yeah. glorious. Yeah. yeah. They were, they ended up like being the only team I was rooting for in the finale, but, but still. And that scene also is proof to me that John Montgomery is still impressing the shit out of me as a host. Mm. Monty has done so well this year, and that's one of the massive, well, one of the only massive positives I can take from this season, is that Monty is firing on all cylinders. He's still Mm. doing tasks. I mean, I expected him to do a picture of beer thing in Whistler, but the way they did it was awesome. Sadly, Mm. he couldn't walk down the street of Whistler with the camera going backwards with him chugging it again, but the way they did it was more than acceptable for me. Anyway, Brett and Sean. I they annoyed me at the start, but that's just that was just because um I thought the pukey thing would just be annoyingly regular instead of like a, a very funny recurring joke. And then like I think those every season or so there's a tipping point of like where uh, suddenly where suddenly I like every single team of the season and then it's, it's, teams either go uphill or downhill from there. Like for for twenty five for season twenty five it was the um for season 25, it was the, uh, I think it was Sweden, the Sweden episode. That's where they went, right? Or was it Norway? It was Denmark and Sweden. Swe- yeah, uh, the Denmark episode where like every single team delivered. And it's unfortunate that wasn't the one nominated for an Emmy, but still. For 26, it was the uh, it was the first Africa leg. Both Africa legs, actually, because like you know every team delivered on that as well. Even Ali and Steve. And then this season, it was the uh, double battle leg, where like every every team was just like deli- even even Gino and Jesse delivered a bit, which was pretty funny. So like that that point was the point where like Brent and Sean passed over from just sli- slightly annoying into pretty great team as well. I mean, they weren't the team I was rooting for for the most of the season because that went from insert eighth to fourth place or here, but still, I really wanted to see them win. I was disappointed when they didn't. I look at the whole puking thing as. As funny as when we had the uh, the cup massages in season twenty five. That's the last time that I properly just laughed at a scene on Amazing Race. Editors need to remember that that is the sort of humour that is hilarious. Sometimes you need a scene like that every season just to give me something to talk about, basically. But they did it on sacred ground. <laughs> yeah, that's just funnier. The fact that the greeter was just looking at us as, um, as if to say. Are you definitely doing this on First Nations sacred ground? I was kind of entertaining the fans, but still, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Nick and Matt. Yay! I I sort of like them for most of the season, not as much as Brent and Sean, but like um, the penultimate leg wasn't a good showing for them because it was just like it was one of many just constant trying trying to alpha dog the other team, so I wasn't really fond of that. And it sort of soured my opinion of them for the last leg. I think if it was just the, if it went from the Okanagan to the finale, I probably would have liked them more. But that was a very it soured them a lot. It soured them a lot to me. Yeah, Nick and Matt's reputation was sealed for me in leg one when we saw Nick grind up against Cynthia, and then the fact that they kept perpetuating all the jokes that I kept posting on Facebook on uh, Twitter. That was ages. That that feels like it was ages ago. Actually. Yeah, with the whole ghosting joke when Nick said that. He feels like uh, Patrick Swayze in Ghost, so, you know, I knocked it up with... What, dead? Yeah, when Hamilton and Michaela walked past them and didn't say hello in Halifax. Nick said, I feel like Patrick Swayze in Ghost, so I mocked up the picture of Nick as Patrick Swayze and Cynthia from the cargo net as uh, Demi Moore. And they rather approved of that. But Nick and Matt and Nick and Sabrina were the two teams who kept talking back to me on Twitter, so I have a soft spot for both of them anyway. As well as the fact that they did bring a lot to the race. And it is a crying shame that they lost. Once again, I didn't speak to them on Twitter because, you know, I've got so many people I need to speak to on Twitter. None. I've, but, like, um, yeah, I didn't speak to them that much on Twitter. Or I didn't speak to them at all on Twitter, actually. I think I got a favourite from Sabrina once, maybe. Yeah, but so like, yeah. Sab's been, uh, been very talkative to us on Twitter. Yeah, but, like, I didn't have that interaction with them, so I didn't have that connection with them and that like of them. And so, basically, I can really only, like, only go off the show. And what I got with the show was um, 
10 legs of all right, one leg of terrible, and uh, the final leg was sort of tainted by that. So they're all right. I mean, there's not there's not amazing race candidate team I, ha- I hate and le- until the finale rolls around. I hate both Mickey and Pete and Tim and Tim. Uh, anyway... But yeah, like um, there's not a team. There's not a team I really hate. I hate. I find annoying, or find really boring, and wish they wouldn't have won, or find meh. Like you know, Jesse won meh. So yeah, it's all, it's all in. It's all within like you know um, the context of their own series, really. Yeah. Do we need to talk about Gina and Jesse because we talked a lot about them already? We already kind of did. So rewind to wherever we did. If you, listen, listener, rewind to wherever we did. I'm ordering. I'm ordering you. So anything else to say about this season? Down with Air Canada. I'm more of a WestJet person myself. So, thank you very much for joining us. The three of us will be back this coming Sunday for the American Amazing Race, which starts tonight. Yay! No break! Woo! Woo, Tequila! Uh, If you enjoyed the show, and even if you didn't, please give us a like on the YouTubes, and subscribe and rate the episodes on iTunes. And if you want to see what we're rambling about this week, you can tweet us at MJHalvestone, at LogSuperGuacky, and at Ink1Y, all of which are spelt in the descriptions everywhere. And finally, if you missed our interview with Mike and Michelle from Major Race 26, that is also available on iTunes. And, breaking news, if you are following Celebrity Apprentice Australia, then Ben is blogging about that all season as well. Whoop whoop. See you on Sunday. See ya. Logan, are you going to do the hashtag case thing? <laughs> yes. Hashtag 1.61. Hashtag Yancast. Hashtag SuperKuwaki. Peace. Can you just do it again? Because Ben talks over the hashtag 1.5. <laughs> Oh, no, no, it's ruined, Michael. Yeah, you just, yeah, you ruined it. I was, I was ready for it, but then you, but then you like ruined it by asking to see it, hear it again. So fine, I'll leave it in just with Ben talking over you then. Hashtag one point six one.